Tu fitia te hopu mai rangatea, te angitu. Men should suppress anxiety because anxiety suppresses success. Ena mana ena reo he mihi tēnei ki a koutou katoa e are taringa mai ana ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahikā. I'm Mariah Rakuraku. And I'm Justine Murray and this is Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. This week the whole programme is about a single topic. This latest edition of our Whakatefatefa or documentary series looks at the issue of Māori and organ donation. So Justine, why is this topic an issue for Māori? Health problems mean that there are a lot more Māori who need organ donations than there are Māori organ donors. In the last five years, figures are available for over 140 Pākehā donated organs compared with 15 Māori. One reason for this are traditional Māori beliefs about the body. They come into conflict with this modern medical practice. Even so, there are different views of how tikana Māori or customary practice should be fulfilled. In a changing world, should tikana Māori change too? We'll hear from a Māori health advocate, a tikana Māori expert, and also from a couple of Māori who have received organs. One of them is Barry Williams. When I was young and I was listening to my aunties and uncles and everyone else talking on the marae, you know, the message was sort of like... Uh, you come with what you got and you go with what you got. And my understanding of that, and this is only my understanding of that, was that you don't take anything that doesn't belong to you and you don't give anything away that belongs to you. So immediately transplant was out in my mind. Liver transplant recipient Barry Williams, more of him later in this edition of Te Ahika, which is all about organ donation. We'll also hear from Nada Glavish of the Auckland District Health Board. She's an advocate of organ donation, so I was keen to find out if she also viewed the practice as something tapu. Of course organ donation is tapu. And it is tapu in the sense of um, acknowledgement of that those intangible dimensions that um, that we're more than just uh, um, blood and bone and you know even even blood um, is is a tapu uh, organ uh, donor that we participate in uh, regularly, being blood donors and and recipients of of blood. More from Nader Glavish later on in this Tiahika special about. Organ donation. Nā reira e te iwi ki a mau mai te rongo ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahika. Kei te pakarongo mai rā ki te ahika. Within the Māori world, we are governed by key concepts. They are tapu and noa. Tapu is usually explained as being sacred or forbidden, but it means much more than that. There are layers to its meaning that are dependent on situation, location or circumstance. Here's some examples. When you visit somewhere for the first time, you are tapu. And through a series of actions, you become noa. Now let's use a tangihanga at a marae as an example. Understanding that what I'm about to explain can be applied anywhere. Because you have travelled to that marae, you are waiwai tapu. As in, your feet are tapu to that place. As in, you have never been there before. And even if you have been there, it's an acknowledgement that you are new or fresh to the occasion. A whole series of steps then takes place during the welcome onto the marae that is conducted with the purpose of transitioning your state of being from tapu to noa. That's one example. Here's another. News reports often describe tapu lifting ceremonies at beaches or other locations. These ceremonies consist of a series of actions that restores that place back to its normal state. What's been lifted isn't so much tapu, but rather the rahui or prohibition, which is applied either at a beach when someone has drowned and time is needed to locate the body, or when resources, like kai, 
kaimoana have been depleted to such a state time is needed for them to replenish. And then there's the human body. Our bodies are considered tapu, but your degree of tapu is increased or diminished depending on the state you're in. Yeah, so for example, when you're hapu or pregnant, your tapu, your degree of tapu has changed. You've become kind of, in a way, more tapu, and that's because you're carrying a baby. Now, once you have baby, you've returned back to the state you were before you were pregnant, so you are now noa. So... How does tapu and noa work when it comes to organ donation? Professor Pautemara is based at Waikato University. He's an acknowledged expert when it comes to tikana Māori. So Justin was keen to hear of his take on this topic. Uh, Pau, we're, pau, we're talking about um, this kaupapa of Māori and organ donation, and in particular the implications um, of tikanga Māori and how this is interwoven within that kaupapa of organ donation or even receiving. Um, could you please explain what the tikanga aspects of organ donation is? Okay, let me um, begin by saying that if you um, if you had a choice between dying and between receiving a um, an organ that will keep you alive and keep you alive indefinitely, then I think you will override all tikanga and opt uh, for the organ. And I think uh, Maori are no different, and they are caught between um, that kind of decision and also the decision uh, to uh, to donate organs. I think um, the, the landscape as it exists is that uh, Māori are some of the greatest receivers of uh, organs, but Māori um, also um, doesn't figure at all um, in, the, uh, in the donation of organs. Now... That's um, a wee bit of a of a problem, um, in that what is what that is saying to me is that Maoris are quite um, uh, willing and quite happy to receive uh, organs from from other people, and many of these people um, have have died in order to prolong their own lives. On the other hand, Maori are a bit reticent about giving uh, their organs or even the organs of, of, of the dead relations uh, for uh, prolonging the lives of others. So that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bit of a problem. Now, let me just talk about tikanga. Now, in the early 1990s, I think, uh, we were commissioned uh, to get together a group of uh, tohunga uh, from the country. The purpose of that particular uh, forum was to discuss about um, the very topic that you are talking about now, that we are talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, these tohunga were the ilk of Huhepakireopa, um, John Tahu, Tehau Tutua, uh, the, uh, and also uh, Tohungas of the Ring of Two Faith. Um, now they they came from a from various uh, uh, iwi backgrounds, but for every one of them, they didn't have a problem with the um, the donation of of uh, body parts. Um, in order and organs in order uh, uh, that uh, others might uh, live from that, and of course, you know, one of the things that I can recall uh, them saying is the uh, um, that if you wanted uh, your mukopuna to live, then you would gladly donate um, part of your uh, tinana, part of your uh, body, uh, to uh, to ensure that the life of your mukopuna. Uh, is prolonged, is saved. And of course, you know, um, when we talk about uh, mokopuna and uh, grandparent, we're talking about a relationship. But there's not a great leap from uh, a mokopuna, grandfather, grandparent uh, relationship 
to the question of uh, donation to a person who is not uh, related. So um, some of the, the examples used, uh, and I... Um, and I just want to mention this particular example because it's the one that comes to mind, to, to this failing mind, uh, <laughs> is the, um, um, the story of Maori uh, and his grandmother giving um, part of her body, her jaw, in fact, so that Maori could use it as a weapon. Um, you know, in a sense, that's looking after Maori, that's prolonging the life of Maori so that it could be used as the, the, the hook uh, to, to fish with. Uh, to fish with um, so these are all the um, um, the some of the uh, the views that were expressed by that group of elite tohungas the other one of course is the the story of um, uh, Maori human, humans marrying Tanifai and marrying Ngangara um, and the inculcation of uh, of the the genes of that particular Ngangarat Tanifa into the um, into the uh, into the human, um, so um, yeah, yes. um, the, these were the uh, the things that I recall about that. Yes, well, it is, um, and uh, and rightly so. But I guess, as, as I say, if uh, you had the choice of um, if you were the recipient of that body organ and you had this choice of living or the choice of standing by your your ideals and your uh, philosophical baselines uh, about tapu, um, then I would argue that you might, you might rightly uh, choose uh, accepting the organ. So it is tapu. Um, but I think um, um, the um, the need to survive is greater than overrides tapu. And it's basically as simple as that, Po. Um, it can be as simple as that, and I think um, where we get into uh, to problems is that we um, uh, we try and build uh, a big. Uh, Body of knowledge about why we shouldn't have it. The yes. fact is, we do have it, um, and whether it is tapu or not, um, that has been over, uh, overridden. The tapu nature has been overridden by the need to survive, and by your human instincts uh, to ensure that uh, the survival of your family, the survival of your issue, is ensured. We're almost talking about survival of a species now. Yes. So, um, Po, in some circumstances where a whānau uh, or, or a whānau has agreed for their tūpāpaku to perhaps be a donor, yeah. and you have the tūpāpaku laying in state on the marae with essentially some of their organs missing, yeah. how, how does that impact on tikanga Māori? Well, I think, um, I mean, uh, one of the examples that I might give is that, um, you know, if you're... Um, a diabetic, and then part of your um, uh, one of your legs or both your legs are um, uh, amputated. What do you do with those legs? First of all, the, the legs have been amputated because they are um, they have rotted away, so they are, are a useless appendage to your body. But the fact that it is still part of your body uh, means that you will, by ritual. Uh, tend to the disposal um, of those uh, body parts in the appropriate uh, way. So you take them to Odupa and you um, you inter them uh, with the decorum that it um, uh, that it deserves. Your body then is minus part of your. Uh, part of its appendages. Now, there comes a time uh, when um, uh, the remaining part of your body dies and it is reunited with the, uh, with the rest of your, uh, with your legs. Now, what am I saying here? What I'm saying is that um, it is not unusual for, for Maori to lose part of their body. Um, I guess uh, the, the only difference in, in the example that I'm uh, giving you now is that uh, uh, the rest of the, the the two parts of the body 
or the different parts of the body are now uh, again re reunited. You see, for years, uh, many of our tupapaku um, had been buried without uh, uh, some vital part of the, uh, the, bo the body. The hearts were kept by hospitals and doctors for scientific research. Um, and it's only been in the last uh, 15, 20 years mm -hmm. that there's been um, a, a growth in awareness about the return of the, especially Maori body parts. Now... I guess um, what is important here, where when we discover, when we think about uh, the um, uh, the body, uh, let me just uh, take you back on a journey um, to um, uh, to um, the era of our tipuna, say um, some um, um, 200 to 300 years ago, when the ritual was to decompose the body as soon as possible. And what we were looking for were the remaining uh, bones of the body. And that is what we put the emphasis on, as opposed to the, um, uh, to the rest of the, uh, the fleshy part of the body. That was consigned to decomposition. And um, so there was this, this urgent uh, need to get rid of the flesh and to expose the, um, um, the bones of the body. That was what the Maori uh, were wanting. Now, it strikes me that if we were serious about all of the, about the body being together, um, then uh, only to uh, uh, to to get rid of the uh, of the flesh of that body um, uh, as soon as possible, so that we can um, uh, deal with the uh, with the with the hard parts of the body, i.e., the bones then, you know, that's, that's a bit of a question mark for me. Kia ora, with his perspective on how organ donation fits within the Māori world. Nader Glavish is the Auckland District Health Board's cultural and tikanga advisor. She's at the forefront of negotiating Māori concepts with Māori health realities. In my experience in working with the issue of organ donors, um, our people have come a long way. Um, there was a time 20 years ago it would have been a no-no. But in terms of organ donors, there is a myth that Māori are, are happy to be the recipients of but reluctant to be the donor. Now, um, I say that that is a myth. There is no data that actually um, can claim that that to be a true standing for Māori. However... Um, just to say that Māori, when we present, we present with multiple problems and often we are unsuitable donors. Often we don't... There's a trust factor. There is a trust factor. We have a, an encounter inheritance of distrust and we have to overcome that barrier. Um, none of us want to die in hospitals. We would prefer to go home and die. And the reason why we don't want to die in hospitals is because of the way in which our two papaku were treated in the past. Organs were taken without consent, um, and that fear um, hasn't left a lot of our people. Is organ donation tapu? Absolutely it is, because our bodies are tapu. So, of course, organ donation is tapu. And it is tapu in the sense of um, acknowledgement of that, those intangible dimensions, that, um, that we're more than just uh, um, blood and bone and, you know, even, even blood um, is, is a tapu uh, organ uh, donor uh, mm. that, that we participate in. Uh, regularly being blood donors and and recipients of of blood, so yes, I'd, I I would agree absolutely. Earlier in our interview, you said that this would have been maybe a, a no no twenty years ago. Yeah, could you explain what you meant by that? Well, twenty years ago, um, I think we were at the height of the distrust um, of. Uh, hospitals um, 
and all that they represent because we never went to hospital unless we absolutely had to um, because of that fear of dying in the hospitals. And, and we were so sick when we actually did go to hospital, we actually ended up going there to die. But there was that distrust of the removal of the organs. We know how tapu our two papaku are. We are opposed to postmortems. And and we are as opposed to postmortems as we are of um the removal of organs. We're only just coming to terms with the fact that um you know that there are several organs in our body. We just see the body. We don't see the organs in it 20 years ago. And those who did um, would say things like, well, it's my time to die, um, and I'm happy to go, or I'm not happy, or whatever. Um, And it wasn't accepted then that uh, we were being viewed as um, potential organs And how dare, how dare um, we die and waste those organs that could save someone's life. And so there was this stigma of um, Maori, not by the intensivists or those who work in that field, but by public in general, um, um, you know, that the Maori at that time was considered to be a strain on uh, society um, and and as well as that, um, the high numbers of beneficiaries and, and all the rest of it, um, as well as that, um, they won't give their organs. And so, um, you know, what a waste. However, that wasn't our view and... And it still is not our view, but we've come a long way into being educated um, and information to our people is quality information to help us make a quality decision around organ donors and organ recipients. Kia ora, Glevish, nor Nati Hine Nati Fatua cultural and tikana advisor at the Auckland District Health Board. This is Te Ahika on Radio New Zealand National, focusing today on the issue of Māori and organ donation. To hear the programme again or get the podcast of this programme, head to our website radionz.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika, that's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. So let's move from the big picture to the little one. Let's look at the practical details. How does an organ donation happen for anyone, Māori or Pākehā? Organ Donor New Zealand Coordinator Janice Langlands. Our roles are really to be available to coordinate any deceased organ donation throughout New Zealand. So if there's anyone being considered for organ donation in any of the intensive care units through New, uh, throughout New Zealand, then I would be called, or my colleagues, as a donor coordinator, and we facilitate that process. So effectively, would you and your team be the go-between families who want to be donors and recipients? Uh, I guess so, but um, we see our uh, our roles as being sort of advocates for the donation side, so, and there are recipient coordinators who are involved in caring for the recipients. So, for example, we might get a call from, for example, Wellington Hospital today. They would give me all the information about the person that might be considered for donation. And then once we have that information, then we contact the recipient coordinators who then liaise with their transplant teams. And I've just gone through your um, annual report um, with some of the um, statistics and uh, in, in one of the tables it says ethnicity of donors by year. Right. Um, does this, in the numbers, does that reflect how many donors were given um, or organs that year? It reflects the number of donors but not the number of organs because one person who agree, or the family who agrees to donation can potentially donate heart or heart valve, lungs, yes. 
liver, kidneys, pancreas, you know, eye, the corneal transplantation. Yeah. So one donor can actually, um, you know, help a number of people. So that is just the number. It is the number of organ donors as opposed to sometimes people can donate what we call tissue, eyes, heart valves, and maybe skin for transplantation. So it doesn't include those numbers. I'll just read out those numbers that I have in front of me, Janice. In 2005, Māori, zero. 2006, Māori, who were the ethnicity of donors for that year, seven. 2007, zero. 2008, three. And 2009, five. Your reaction to those numbers, Janice? Well, I, I mean, I think it's good. I think, I mean, I guess when we get asked about, because often people do say Māori don't donate, they do donate, maybe not as frequently, but they do, families do generously agree to, or the whānau do agree to organ donation. I think Pacific people and Māori maybe don't donate as frequently, but they do definitely do donate. Probably the last thing I'd like to ask you is when somebody has passed away and the family agree that yes, you can, this my loved one can be a as a, a donor, what's the process? Um, I can. I mean, anyone who's been considered for organ donation, and we talk about organ as heart, lung, liver, or kidneys and pancreas, will be in an intensive care unit and and on a ventilator. Um, and then there'll be some tests done to determine that their brain has died, but they will still be supported on the ventilator. So they don't actually don't look any different at that time, although they are considered they are um, legally dead at that time. Now, if the, then there'll be a discussion with the family about donation and whether they is something that they thought their loved one might want to do, or they are willing to to agree to, if they say yes, then as a donor coordinator I would be contacted. I get all the information about the person that's being considered for donation, discuss that with the transplant teams, and then the transplant teams decide whether the organs can be retrieved or are you know, medically suitable to be retrieved for transplantation. And then the retrieval teams travel to wherever the donor's been cared for, so if it's Palmerston, North Dunedin, the experienced transplant teams will travel down to the hospital to surgically remove the organs because the removal of the organs is just as important as the transplantation. So it mm. has to be by experienced surgeons. For the family, though, they, you know, once they've agreed to donation, there can be a number of hours, maybe up to eight hours, if you know it's out of Auckland, before the transplant teams get to the hospital and before their loved one goes to the operating rooms. And I guess the hard part, well, there's lots of hard parts for the families, but one of the hard parts is that their loved one goes to the operating rooms while they're still supported on the ventilator. And that's because the organs need a blood supply to them um, until they're surgically removed. But it's tough because they don't actually look any different than maybe when they were admitted to the The retrieval, what we call the retrieval or the surgical removal of the organs can take anywhere from three to six hours, depending on which organs are able to be donated. And then, the, um, and I'm you know, in the operating theatres during that time, so I know that their loved one is treated with care and respect. And I mean, I would always hope that I would care for them as if they were one of my own family members. So yes, there is some delay with maybe funeral arrangements or people having their loved one on the marae, but it's not days, it can be a number of hours. Kia ora, Janice Langlands, Coordinator for Organ Donor New Zealand. For more information about organ donation, you can head to our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. We've posted up some links where you can find more stories from people whose lives have been transformed by going through the organ donation process. One of them is Barry Williams. He suffered from hepatitis B for over 30 years, but that hasn't slowed him down. He owns two veggie stores in Wellington, is a part-time property investor and a skilled builder. Justine visits him at home. You wouldn't think that by looking at Barry at 60 years of age that he was riddled with liver disease, so much so that only 32% of his liver was functioning. His health changed for the better after his liver transplant. This is his story. I knew I, I knew I'd been sick for a long time. I'd 
I've sort of had I had hepatitis B, and I found that out probably like 30, 35 years ago when I tried to be a blood donor. And so was it just by accident? Just by accident. I went because I thought I wanted to do something good and give something back, you know, as as we all do. And so I went to try and be a blood donor at uh, Wellington Hospital, and they said to me, "We can't use your blood because I've got hepatitis B." As it turned out. Probably the only explanation as to how I got hepatitis B is because when I was being when I was younger, I was brought up on Amadai, and Amadai was very rural as it was in back in the fifties. I'm, I'm now sixty years old. Where's your marae, um, Barry? My marae is Takido Marae in Waitotara Valley, and um, I was brought up there, and I spent. Uh, we had a big family, as most of the families were in that time. And I was nominated, I guess, by my mum to go and live with my nanny because she was living by herself in the house. So I had to go and live with her. And I did that, I don't know how long, but I remember that part of my life really, really as a special time. But anyway, going back, so I found out in February 2009 that I was really ill. Uh, Just only last year. I know. The specialist called me in and this is how it happened for me it was a Sunday afternoon I went for it I, I was during since the last 30 years I've been doing oh they asked me when I when I found out if that uh, 30 years ago or whatever when I found out I had hepatitis B hepatitis they, B. Asked, they asked me if I would mind being I guess like a guinea pig going on a research study for them because I fitted the profile they're looking for they're looking for marriage my age and and because I didn't smoke and I didn't drink much, you know, and uh, and I had hepatitis B, they wanted to track me. So I'd, I've been a guinea pig for the last 30, 35 years. And as part of that trial, they, whenever a new drug came out, I, they asked me if I'd participate, so I'd take it, and I'd have to do blood tests and do certain things. So I've been doing that for the last 30 years. It was just sort of like every month I'd go and see them and do something. And then as... Things changed. They, they changed my medication and they changed it. But I've been trialling their drugs for a long time. So come last, February last year, I went back for one of those routine tests. In it, they decided to do a scan because things were happening and they could tell that from blood tests. So they said to me, we need to do a scan on you. So they scanned me and they said... They explained it to me in this way. They said, it's like having a rock in the side of a... in the riverbank... And the river is running past, and, there's the, and the river is the blood, the vessels, and, and there's the blood flowing past. And they said, and eventually it will erode the bank. If it erodes the bank, then the tumour would then erode the, the, the layer that it was contained within. And then if, the, if it burst, it would get into my bloodstream and I'd have cancer right through my body. I knew I was in trouble. I was in big trouble. So, and I've always been sensitive to my Maori side, to my cultural side, to my my religious side, I guess, my spiritual side. And I guess my nanny, again, I credit her with all this. Um, I just sort of thought, what would my nanny do in a time like this? And so a lot of things came back to me. Even though I lived in the Pākehā world and I lived with my wife's family and a lot of my friends are Chinese or Indians or other races, yes. My Maori side came straight back. So I knew I had to do a number of things. I was also aware that when I was young and I was listening to my aunties and uncles and everyone else talking on the marae, you know, the message was sort of like... uh, you come with what you got and you go with what you got. And my understanding of that, and this is only my understanding of that, was that you don't take anything that doesn't belong to you and you don't give anything away that belongs to you. So immediately transplant was out in my mind. You know, because if I was to believe that and to follow that line of thinking. Um, so I thought and I knew also very strongly that this was my hikoi. No one else could do this. Mm-hmm. 
I was the only one. And, and I also knew I had to go home, back to my marae. I knew I had to go back because my nanny told me this. And I, you know, and was this, is that when you're in trouble and you come home, come home, take your shoes off and walk on the marae and let the power of the earth and the energy from the earth come back to you. So I went home to find that because I needed to be at peace with myself before I went to Auckland. On Friday afternoon they told me I was suitable to go on the waiting list, which I said, OK, I will. Um, and that night, about 9.30 that night, the hospital rang me. And I thought it was a joke, because I was in the casino you know, with my wife. I was trying to win a jackpot. Yeah, you were it? still in Auckland. Yeah, I was yeah. still in Auckland, so I, I was in the casino. They rang me and they said to me, look, <laughs> can you come back to the hospital? And I thought, oh, they forgot Tess. So I said, you know, what do you need me for? And they said, we think we have a donor. I was still uncertain about the part about receiving an organ, but I thought I'd cross that bridge when I come to it. Right. Let's just get know, on the list, because yeah, it could be six months. Yeah, it could be six months, you know. And so I got on the list, and um, then I left. And about 9.30 at night, that same Friday night, they rang me and said to me, we want you to come back, we think we have a donor for you. And you were at the casino at the time? Yes, casino. So and you I did thought, win the jackpot, kind of. <laughs> I did win the jackpot, absolutely. Not kind of, I won the jackpot. It, it was difficult in recovery because I'm not a person who can sit down and do nothing. I've always been active all my life and, you know, and I've worked all my life. And so I found it difficult just lying in bed. Yeah, so that wiped you out, obviously, yeah, you I know, mean, and as then, it would. And anyway, but I knew that it was up to me to get better. So I just worked with it over the next few days and it, and it was, there were some really bad times and I, I choose to, you know, acknowledge them but not revisit them because it was difficult. And oh, and when they talk about operations and and when they do liver operations, they talk about a Mercedes cut. So they cut me like this down there and from side to side, right. like the Mercedes. Mm -hmm. They call it a Mercedes, and they talked about it all the way through the, the that they have give you this Mercedes cut when they do because they got a your liver is at the back by your spine, and they have to. Pull you right open so they right can get it so out. They can get a... and, the, and it's the biggest it's the biggest organ in the human body, so it takes up a lot of space. And there's a left lobe, right lobe. Um, I said I'm a really simple person. I said this to the to the doctor. I said I'm a really simple person, so I need to know in simple terms how my marginal liver is. I said, okay, you talked about Mercedes cut all the time. If an A grade liver is a Mercedes car, what sort of car did you give me? And he, he thought, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> he, he didn't know what I thought. Then he thought about it. He said, oh, okay. So you want to know what sort of car? I said, yeah, what sort of car did you give me? And he thought about it for a while. And he said, oh. And I was thinking to myself, I crossed my fingers actually. I was thinking to myself, oh, don't say oh. lada. <laughs> <laughs> don't say lada or... Yeah, uh... or, or Skoda. <laughs> you know, so I was thinking, oh, don't, please don't say lada. And he says, um, you've probably got a... Toyota, and I thought, great! I love Toyotas. They got last forever. They go for miles and miles. They do. Low I've maintenance. Yep. Low maintenance. I said, great. And he says to me, yeah, but you know, if things don't pan out, we can always give you another transplant later. I said, you're not cutting me again. My Toyota's fine. And that's my attitude today. Kia ora, Barry Williams, no tanaki whanui. Kei te whakarongo mai koutou, ki te hōtaka nei a te ahikā. I'm Mariah Rakaraku. And I'm Justin Murray, and you're listening to Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. Our last organ donation recipient is Eva Hainga, who works in the office at Waifetu Medical Centre in Lower Hutt. I am a recipient of um, lungs. I had a bilateral lung transplant in... Um, May of 2003, um, I was fortunate and quite privileged to be part of that um, program, well, process and quite privileged to be offered the opportunity to have that happen. I've always been a workaholic, um, busy person, involved in a lot of sports, but um, my illness was due to smoking. I became sick in, oh, I think I was 40. And at that time, I was still working full-time, 
raising a family, um, involved heavily in sports with my children and myself. Um, but there was that um, element, that smoking, that was still going on as well. Years went, well, time went past, and I was struggling to breathe, let alone walk. Yeah. Mm. And then um, my doctor, um, family doctor, been with me for, I've been with him for quite a few years. Um, he, I was fortunate enough, he introduced me to a specialist, um, Dr. Richard Beasley. I went to see him for a period of time and um, he offered me this opportunity of a transplant. It was either that or I probably wouldn't have seen the end of the year. But, you know, I mean, by this time I'd been seeing him for a couple of years, so I was going on, I was 45, going on 46. Young? Yeah, very young. Um, I had no idea what a transplant involved. Um, I thought uh, you only see those things on TV and, you know, in the movies or the medical programs and only ever happens in the States sort of thing or somewhere overseas. Um, I don't know, I was just... I just looked at him and thought, what planet are you on? You know, why are you asking me something to con- this to consider? So then eventually, Eva, obviously, did you, you you made the decision that, yes, you will go ahead with the... Um, no, initially I thought of um, my mum because she passed away in the year 2000 and um, she was very, um, oh, what is it? very cultural about you know her um her body and her beliefs her, her beliefs and how she was raised and um the idea of parting with body parts would never have been accepted by her or in this case accepting other body yeah. parts or in this case accepting other body parts anything to do with the teen you know she was very sacred to my mum she wouldn't she was that type of woman. She had a special towel for her hands and a special towel for her head, that sort of thing. Um, and it sort of it haunted me a bit because I could almost hear her saying, you're not doing this. And um, so I had to go away and think about it. I rang my father, who lives in Gisborne, and um, asked him what did he think. He was really nice. He said to me, at the end of the day, it's not about... Um, his, you know, about what he thinks or anybody else thinks. He said it's not his life or anyone else's and that I have to do what I think is right for me. And um, I asked him, you know, what what if it doesn't work? And he said, well, you'll have to give them back and ask for a refund. (laughs) (laughs) I was really... I was quite serious, and he was saying something. Trying was, to make yeah, light of the moment. He was, but um, we had a bit of a laugh, and he said, "At the end of the day, it comes down to what I wanted." But did you your know. father say to you? Because you would have said to your father, I'm assuming that you were saying, "Oh, you know, what about Mum? What would Mum think?" Yeah, no, I did say that, and he said, "Well, she's not here." He says, "If she was here, then that would be something that I would discuss with her." Right. He says, "But she's not here." And um, so the decision is left to me. I, I eventually said, yes, we'll try it. We were flown to Green Lane. Green Lane? Yeah. Uh, everybody was just marvellous. They, we went to the hospital. Before I went in to have my operation, I asked for a priest to come in, and we had um, karakia before I went to have my operation. Um... um and after the operation, I remember waking early hours in the morning and um, everything was a bit, was semi, like, you know, you have the night light on and I, this, the nurse was standing beside me and she was all in white. And I looked and I thought, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> then the next time I was in the intensive care unit. Right. 
Well, and I mean, we're talking about seven years ago, yeah? Yeah. Seven years ago. And so, you know, if you could kind of encapsulate how your life has been since then, um, what has the road been like? Oh, I've just been so... I'm Every day I'm grateful and I'm, I always say thank you. I don't know who my donor is. Does it matter I've, to you? Would no. you like, have you thought about wanting to know? Yeah, I have and no. I sort of feel like, um, oh, I don't know. Like while I was in intensive care, before I left, I asked for um, the priest again and we had church with my sister and, and um, it sort of seemed right. You know, and um, I remember saying to my sister, you know, I've got this warm flow of air going from my head to my toes. And she just looked at me and she says, oh, it might be mum. I said, well, I don't think so. <laughs> this is after your transplant? Yeah. Well, I was in intensive care. And I just f- felt this glow all over. It was just, yeah. A good, but a good glow. Yeah, it was nice. Um, I had a wonderful... Um, physiotherapist um, who I think now was wonderful at the time I thought she was the worst person I could ever come across. Was she being mean to you or something? She was very determined that I was going to be on my feet whether I liked it or not so it didn't matter to her that, I think it did matter from a physiotherapist point of view but there was no um, no room for self-pity Tēnā koe, Eva Hainga no Ngāti Pirau. Māori television presenter Te Hamua Nikora is also known as the Hearty Coasty. He suffered from a myriad of illnesses. He has diabetes, a brain tumour, and had one of his testicles removed after prostate cancer was found. This medical history led to him thinking about becoming an organ donor. Yeah, there, there are certain things in tikanga that are so deep that um, even me, I'm, uh, I was brought up by some pretty powerful men and women in Te Ao Māori, but even myself, I have to defer to my grandmother's judgment when it comes to these things. Um, only 11 years ago, I guess it was, I got my licence because I lived in Gisborne. It was easier to walk everywhere, but we moved to Auckland, so I needed a car licence, got my licence, and I said to my nan, Nan, should I be an organ donor? And my grandmother said to me, she said, no, moko, because I need you to be whole, you know, when, when we put you into the ground. And and so I signed off as, no, I can't be an organ donor. I've sort of had a bit of a think about it. I mean, particularly after what's happened to me um, with my health over the last year, and I'm kind of having to come to my own conclusions now. Um, I mean, my grandmother still at the end of the day is the... Um, matriarch of our family and, and, and particularly of myself but I mean yeah uh, I think that a lot of people will be able to live longer um, if they are given the spare parts of other people that don't need them now because they've passed on and I think that's something that needs to come into tikanga that we need to realise that. Because Te Hamua, you would have had um, maybe whanau members who perhaps needed a, a new liver, a new lung, a new heart even? Yeah yeah my, um, my mother passed away in 1999 from um, liver cancer. Um, in saying that, um, that was secondary liver cancer and the roots, the doctors didn't know where it was. But if the root cancer was in the liver, all it would have taken was a liver transplant and my mother would still be here with us today. And I mean, if I can, if I can provide that for somebody else, if somebody else doesn't have to go through as much pain as me, my brothers and sisters and my father go through every day because our mum's not here, I'd love to be able to do that for somebody. I need to be able to go and talk to my nan about it again, um, to to my dad and probably to to my tohunga back home. But um, yeah, that's that's something that I've actually been thinking about and was really surprised when you asked me this morning. I mean, you know, over the, over the last year, I, I saw a lot of sick people in hospital, mm. and um, yeah, there's a lot of things people that don't need to be there if we can help them out. Gee, you would have been a funny character to have on the same ward. <laughs> yeah, it was cool actually. We had um, I walked in, oh, got wheeled into my first ward, and there was these two Maori fellas, and um, they just they recognised who I was straight away, and just asked me, please, can we show off every time a Maori walks through that door? Can we show off that we know you? Said, Hell yeah! So for the whole week, these two men got to show off that they were personal friends with me, <laughs> to their families, 
to any strangers that came in, and I've had phone calls um, since leaving the hospital that both these men have passed away, but their last weeks of their life were the happiest ever because they got to hang out with the dopey fella from TV and hospital. So, you know, that's, that, that's a real big responsibility, but, I mean, awesome. Uh, I love that I was able to do that. Kia ora, te hamua ni kura. He's back next week where he's the subject of a full profile interview. You'll hear how a fundraising campaign for his brain surgery took a very interesting turn. Ko tai anō mātou ki te otinga o te ahikāmo tēnei wiki, arā mō tēnei wahanga o whakatewatewa. That ends te ahikā this week. A nei rā, Pau Temara, who we heard earlier in the programme with this week's Whakatauki. Tēnei whakatauki, nā te wharehui a Milroy, tēnei whakatauki. Ko taua whakatauki rā e ki ana, um, tū whetia te hopu, uh, mairangatia te angitū. Ko tērā whakatauki e ki ana, kia pēhia ngā whakaaro te tangata, kia puta ai teihu o te tangata. Uh, man should, should suppress anxiety, because anxiety um, suppresses success because uh, success comes from our ability to overcome anxiety and to look at the benefits uh, of the world. Ko pau tēmara tōku ingoa, hea horangi hau i te whare wānanga waikato, ko tōku iwi ko tūhoe. Koi rā tōku ingoa, koi rā tāku mahi. He mihi tēnei ki nga kai kōrero katoa, me tēnei kaupapa. Thanks to all our guests on this week's show for sharing your stories. Pau Tiemara, Nader Glavish, Janice Langlands, Barry Williams, Eva Hainga and Te Hamua Nikora. Ano nei te mihi mai o hā ki tamātou kaira wiki wiki mihini nā mihi. Hoki mai hei tērā rā tapu. Mauri ora tātou katoa.